0: There are two cycles that every single person lives within. You live within at least one of them. And sometimes they overlap. The two cycles are the debt cycle and the equity cycle. And in this episode, I'm going to share with you how buying a home is your absolute best way to move from the debt cycle to the equity cycle and eventually reach financial and lifestyle freedom. Hey there, and welcome to the Investing Well Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Sheik, but you can call me Liz. I'm an entrepreneur through and through. My husband and I, we've climbed ourselves out of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt, and now are living completely debt-free. Accomplishing this wasn't easy by any means. We've made some really wise choices, and we've certainly made some that we are less proud of. However, standing on this side of financial freedom, I'm here to tell you that it is possible, and I'm here to show you how to do it with your God-given talents. All the while, investing in what matters most, your health, family, and community. So go ahead, grab your coffee and your noise-canceling AirPods, and let's get going. We have some investing to do. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Investing Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Sheik, and I'm really excited about today's episode because we are going to be talking about real estate. And real estate is my jam. Real estate, in my opinion, is one of the absolute quickest ways that you can build equity, get out of debt, create sustainable um, income for your financial future, and really kind of catapult you into that financial freedom and lifestyle freedom that I know that you are seeking. So first off, to start this episode off, I wanna talk about a concept I came up with that I wrote about in one of my books, and it is called the equity cycle and the debt cycle. And every single person lives within one of these two cycles, and sometimes they coexist together. You can think of them kind of like uh, then diagram where you have these two wheels and sometimes they overlap and there's items in the middle. And then sometimes eventually you will hopefully get to a point where you are living completely in the equity cycle versus the debt cycle. And so what is the debt cycle? Most simply put, the debt cycle is where you are living in such a way that your bills never end. And so this could be in a form of renting. It could be in a form of leasing your car. It could be in a pattern of constantly spending more than you make every single month. It could be in such a way that you are always putting something onto a credit card and then trying to pay it off in hopes that you're going to make enough money every single month to pay it off. And so you're living in such a way that the debt is this cyclical thing in your life. And I wanna be very clear, renting is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with renting and there's really nothing wrong with leasing your car. However, in my opinion, if you have the ability to own your home or own a home that can continue to generate equity for you and you are not having to put money out that you get no return from, in my opinion, that is the best form of living in the equity cycle. There is a quote that says every single month, regardless if you rent or if you own, you are building somebody's equity. I mean, that's a really powerful thought to think. If you are renting and you have the option to own right now, you are building somebody else's equity. You are paying off their mortgage. You are paying their bills you are living and maintaining a home for them that over the last several years has grown in equity. Now, imagine if you were renting over the years of COVID and you were paying somebody's mortgage month after month after month, and most homes during COVID time between 2020 and right now in 2023 have in some cases over doubled in value. So for those landlords who whose homes, that is the killer deal, right? That's an amazing deal. And I hope, in fact, one day that you have rental properties that you are able to do this with. Now, there is cycles to everything. So if you can get out of the renting cycle and into the ownership equity cycle, in my opinion, that is the quickest way to get completely debt-free. It is the quickest way to build equity in your life and have a really good, safe nest egg for your financial future. And I'll explain why. But think about this. If you were in COVID, living through COVID and you were paying rent and somebody's house, they paid $300,000 for that house and you're paying that rent. Not only are you paying their mortgage, but they're probably making a little extra each month on it. And then on top of that, while you're living there, they gained $300,000 worth of equity. And in our lifetime, in our generation, the last three to four years has been the largest slingshot of equity growth that we've ever seen. And who knows, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you if that's the most we'll ever see, but it's definitely a huge amount of equity gain. In some cases, some of our houses have grown $600,000 worth of equity, $300,000 worth of equity, and we dollars And we are not the exception to that. Most people who owned a home Prior to COVID, has seen substantial equity growth. Now, the only way to realize that equity growth is to one, either refinance and take that money out and utilize it for something else, or you sell the house, you gain it. And so, yes, that money is not technically sitting in your bank account, but if needed, it could be a way to take money out and use it and utilize it for something else. And so, When I talk about the debt cycle, I'm talking about reoccurring payments or behaviors you have that continue to keep you living month to month. Now, I also talked about leasing cars. I will be the first to admit that I am not someone who knows the ins and outs and nuts and bolts, no pun intended, about a car. However, what I do know is that car payments are just as high right now as some mortgage payments. I see people, when I look into their finances every single day, I see people who have $500 car payments, $700 car payments, $1,200 a month car payments. These are astronomical car payments. And if you look at that, a $1,200 a month car payment could be paying a monthly payment on a small cabin in the mountains somewhere. And so when we look at it, if you are leasing a car and you have no way to own that car at the end of your term, other than you just paying cash, right, which you could do, but the whole time you leased it, that doesn't go towards a down payment. That doesn't go towards the overall value of the car. And yes, cars depreciate in value, but just because they depreciate in value does not mean that you should carry a monthly payment for the rest of your life and so in my opinion the quickest way to financial freedom in life is to be able to live without any debts over your head and then when you get to a point in which you have created the first level of financial freedom in your life then you go reassess then you go reassess and look at your life and say hey do i want a different lifestyle do you, do i want to upgrade my lifestyle how do i see me living for the rest of my life, is this the car I want to live in or is now a great time now that I have the cash available to go upgrade my car, is now the time that I want to upgrade that aspect of my lifestyle? And so a lot of changing from the debt cycle to the equity cycle is saying, hey, I'm willing and okay being with living within a certain lifestyle for the foreseeable future so that I can have the long-term gain that I want. My husband and I are 35 and 36 right now. And our plan is to be retired by the time that we are 45. And we're well on our way to doing so. But that is because we have chosen to live differently right now. And just because you may be 40, 45, or 50, and, and you're past our goal for retirement, it doesn't mean that you can't start now. Maybe you need to change some change some habits now that will make sure that you get to that financial freedom in your lifetime versus it always being a hope and dream. And so today in this episode, I wanna talk about what is one of the quickest ways to start moving from the debt cycle to the equity cycle and that is through home ownership. There are three ways in which you can invest in real estate that are most accessible to every single person. It is through a personal investment, which that would be the home you live in, your primary residence. The second type of real estate investment is a rental. There are short-term rentals like Airbnbs. There are long-term rentals where you would have somebody come in and live for a year or two, the traditional thought of a rental. Then you have midterm rentals. And midterm rentals are really kind of between a short-term and long-term. Sometimes they're furnished, sometimes they're not. People are coming in anywhere from 30 days to six months. Uh, and living there. And so we see that often happening with our short term rentals, turn midterm rentals and like nurses, traveling nurses coming and staying in those. And so you have your, your personal investment, your primary home rentals. And then you have what I deem as acute real estate. Acute real estate would be like a fix and flip or build and sell. Those are assets that you are obtaining for a very short period of time and you're getting in and you're getting out. The idea is that you're going to have them and you're going to sell them. Unlike rentals, those are buy and holds, right? You're going to buy it, and you're going to hold it for an extended period of time, ultimately, possibly paying it completely off and generating that income month after month after month. And that's where we have started to build a lot of our back-end financial freedom along with the clients that I train is once we get to financial stability, once we're like getting well on our way to financial stability, I help people find really great rentals where they're gonna buy and hold them for a while. They're going to quickly pay those mortgages off. And let's say that property is generating $5,000 a month. Well, now above and beyond the cost to run the property, you're making anywhere from $4,000, $4,500 a month per property that you have. And so in today's episode, we're really gonna focus in On the personal investments. I will later on talk about both the buy and hold, the rentals, and then the acute real estate and how you may be able to get into that depending on where you are in the equity cycle. But today we're going to focus on personal investments. And when you purchase a home for yourself and you're going to live in it, you immediately start to break that debt cycle and you start to build into the equity cycle. And I know some people. Maybe thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm still paying, I'm still paying the monthly payment. How does that build equity? Well, think about it as a home. When you own a home, that's like a forced savings account in some form or fashion. You've taken money that you've owned, you put it as a down payment, and you actually give it to the bank, right? The bank owns your home until you have no more mortgage on it. So you've given the bank that down payment, and then you pay every single month. And you are putting your money in and you're slowly paying down that principal. Now, when you go to sell that house one day, and if it sells for more, every dollar you put in, you get back out, except for the interest rate, right? That, that's what the bank gets as a, hey, thank you for allowing me to leverage the bank's money, buy this house and keep the equity. And to me, that is one of the most incredible ways to build wealth, in our society, because banks are saying, hey, for this very little bit that you're gonna put down, I'm gonna charge you this interest rate. Even though interest rates are higher, right I'm gonna charge you this interest rate, but you're gonna be able to use our money, buy a house, and when you sell it, if, if that house is worth more, you get to keep all the equity. That is absolutely still mind-blowing, when you look at every other investment out there, for almost every other investment out there, somebody wants a piece of that pie at the end. If they're saying, hey, you can use my money, they're not only saying, hey, you can use my money, pay me while you're doing it through some sort of interest. But then I also want a piece of the pie at the end when you go to sell it. I want some equity in your company. I want some equity in this business. I want some equity in, in almost every other aspect. People take equity on the back end, but a bank doesn't do that. So It becomes more like a forced savings account that you get to capitalize when you sell the property and keep all of the equity that's grown. Now, I don't wanna get too ahead of myself. So if you're listening and you're like, hey, I kind of heard these terms before, but I really don't know. I never want to speak as if anybody listening to my podcast just knows what I'm talking about because at one point in time, I didn't know what equity was either. And so what equity is, is how much do you owe on the house and how much is the house worth? And the difference between those two numbers is your equity. And so say you bought a house at 300,000 and you live in it for two years and it raises to 400,000. Well, the difference between the $300,000 that you bought it for and that 400,000, that $100,000 spread is the equity you have in that property. And so when you go to sell it, you get to keep that equity and choose to do what you want with it. And in the case of my husband and I, we've used most of all that equity to get out of debt, to invest in other forms of real estate, to invest in other vehicles, to grow long-term wealth. And so for us, not only did we leverage the bank's money, but when we made all of our equity back, we were able to disperse it into different accounts that could grow. And so when you have a personal home, you've bought from the bank, you are able to keep all that equity for a little bit of a down payment. And instead of paying month after month to month with a landlord, right, and you're renting an apartment, you don't see any of that money back, right? You stay in the same apartment, you've taken care of that apartment or you've taken care of that house, you've made it cute, you've lived in it for two years, if you went to your landlord and said, hey there, I've been a great tenant. I've, I would say I've even increased the value. I painted it real well. I've taken care of it. I fixed X, Y, and Z when I didn't need to. I've been a great tenant. And now that I'm leaving, I would like to have some of my money back. They would literally laugh at you. They would legitimately laugh at you and be like, well, that's not how this works. Well, that's because that's the debt cycle. Every dollar you spend going out, you will never see a return on that investment. Now, there are reasons that you would rent, but that's not for this episode. But the equity cycle, when you buy a house, every dollar you put in, minus the interest, you get all of that back. So let's say in that same $300,000 scenario, you've lived there for two years. Not only did you put your down payment, you've been faithfully making your payments and you've paid off another, let's call it $20,000 worth of the principal and you sell it for that 400, not only do you get the $100,000 spread of equity, you get your down payment back, and you get every monthly payment of principal that you paid on that house. It's absolutely the best way, in my opinion, to grow your long-term wealth. Because when you sell it, just like my husband and I, you have an opportunity to decide where that money goes. And for most people, they will not get one giant lump sum of $50,000, $100,000, $300,000 or more in equity at any given point in time. Often someone's home is the largest investment and equity they will ever receive in their life if they sell it. So how do you make sure that your personal home is a really stellar investment? First off, you have to approach this as a buy to sell. That is a mindset shift where most people go in to buy a home and they're looking for that warm and fuzzy feeling. They're looking for a place they can bring their first baby. They're looking for all of these things that make them feel good. When you are specifically going to use your home as a slingshot into your financial and lifestyle freedom future, you've gotta look at a house to say, hey, will this house be a good investment? Will I be able to make money when I go to sell it? Not if I go to sell it, but when I go to sell it, will I be able to make money? So, how do you find a home that does this? And so, what you do is you are going to look at a growing area. You may be in a city that is growing and that's fantastic. My suggestion is you do not go to the most popular area. You go to the outskirts of the most popular area. And what you do is you buy a new home that is to be built by a builder. So a lot of times you see these new home communities. I have found in all 18 years of real estate investing that the quickest way to build equity in a home without having to do anything is to buy it in a brand new new home community on the outskirts of a growing area. Let me explain. Usually a growing area is close to a city, close to work, close to things to do. But the more compact it gets right in the center of everything that's happening, the higher those prices are. And it often knocks certain people out of buying those homes. It certainly did for my husband and I. There were areas of town we definitely couldn't afford to buy in when we were first buying homes. And so you go to the outskirts of those towns and you look at the brand new home builders people who are building new subdivisions. And you don't want to look for a subdivision of just like 10 to 20 homes. You want to look for a subdivision where there are several hundred homes going up. And you want to be one of the very first to buy in those neighborhoods. And the reason you want to be one of the first to buy is that when a new home builder builds a home, every so many often homes, usually sets of 10, every builder has their own calculation, but they raise the price by a couple thousand dollars. And then the next sets of homes, they raise that by a couple thousand dollars. And every few months, they're raising it by a few thousand dollars. If you're one of the first to get in, then whenever they are finished with the community, the builder will naturally have built in equity to your home. Yes, your home may be a little bit older than the brand, brand new ones, but that's okay. You're gonna still have the same square footage. And in that period of time, you're gonna really maintain the home. And maybe you're gonna do some upgrades that, the other newer homes may not have. For example, we would always buy bare homes. That is still what I tell people to do today. Take the bare minimum, except for the things you're not going to change. You're not going to upgrade the cabinetry. You're probably not going to upgrade the flooring in the next couple of years. So spend the dollars and upgrade those two things from the get-go. And then everything else you can do along the way. You want built-ins? Those are easy to do. You want shiplap walls? Those are easy to do. Don't pay for fancy lighting. You can get it discounted much cheaper and much cooler lighting once once you've already moved in. And so you can make the space really nice and very updated and live there and the equity is gonna grow and you're going to be able to capitalize on that growth over those years. And more often than not, you're not gonna have to do any type of major renovation. You're gonna be under a home warranty which means the builder after the first year will come in and fix nail pops and potential little settling cracks and things like that. So it is a home that you can move into and virtually do very little to nothing while your equity grows, which allows you to focus paying off debt, living within your means, potentially having another job, starting a new business that that makes more income for yourself. You can while your home is building equity in this cycle, you can focus on other areas of your life to build and grow equity in. The other thing that you're going to want to make sure you look for when you buy a primary home, it is not necessarily what you want. It is what somebody else is going to want. So when you look at a home and you're debating on buying it, you want to look at it through the lens of the next buyer, not Do I like this? Do I like the layout? If real estate is not your specialty, ask a real estate agent, ask a friend who likes design, go onto Pinterest, look at what is trending right now, what is popular, watch some shows on HGTV, see what people are liking and look for homes that the general public would like. Because again, when you buy a home to sell, The plan is is that you are going to buy this home for a very specific purpose, and that is to gain equity. And when you are at a point where you feel like the equity is where you want it, or where it's good, where you know you can capitalize on the equity, you're going to sell, and you will go buy a different house, and you will use the equity to pay off debts and invest in other vehicles for investing, and and you're not going to live there forever. So, I know you might be thinking, OK, Liz, but what if I go to sell it and like right now it's the homes aren't moving as quick? Well, that's a great, great question. There's a lot of things you can do if the market isn't moving when you want to move. If it's simply you want to sell to capitalize some of that equity to pay off debts, you can take a HELOC and often HELOCs have a lower interest than a lot of other debts. And so you can pay that off and then sell the house which we're gonna get into a little bit more when we get into the interest rates here in just a minute. So if you are sitting on the other end of this podcast and you're thinking, you know what? Maybe I do wanna own a home. Maybe I don't own a home or, hey, I haven't been using my home really intently as a primary form of investments. If you don't know what your equity is, you can ask a real estate agent. They will often freely give you that information to tell you what your home value is. And then you just subtract what is it that I owe on my house versus what is the current value? And that's going to give you your equity and make a decision for yourself. Would having that equity, if you sold, would having that equity be able to move you further in life? Would having that equity help you pay off debts if you sold the house? What would you want to do with that equity? And it's really important to go through the mile marker workbook and the investing well Wheel. When you go through that exercise on our website, it's gonna help you drive a lot of clarity on what are the things that I want in life? What does financial and lifestyle freedom look for me? And then you're able to then look at your home and say, hey, is this getting me closer to it or is it not? And then you can start making decisions from there. So if you're wondering yourself, okay, great. I think I'm gonna buy a home, but I have no clue about the process. What is the process like? Well, there's three main things that you are going to be considering when you purchase a home. First is gonna be your debt to income. And most lenders want a debt to income ratio lower than 36%. Now, if what I just said sounded like alien talk, again, I understand. I once was there and I had no clue what any of this meant. So debt to income is exactly what it sounds like if we break the words down. What debts do you have compared to the income you're making. And so most lenders look at all of your debts going out and they don't want it to be more than 36% of your total income. And they calculate that pre-tax. And so so for example, if you make $80,000 a year, do $80,000 divided by 12 times 0.36 and that's gonna give you your ratio. And then again, lenders often want to see, banks wanna see no more than 28% going towards your mortgage. The lower you can get that, the better. And so you may say after you do that calculation, you may be like, well, it doesn't look like I can afford much. Well, that's great to know. There's no wrong or negative result from doing your debt to income. If you look at your debt to income and you realize, hey, I don't think I can buy a house yet, it's going to tell us one of two things. Either one, we need to lower our debts first Or two, we need to make more income. And sometimes it's a combination of both. And that's great. The best thing we can do when looking at our debt to income is have awareness of what our next steps are. And so many people who don't purchase a house are sitting in an area of the, I don't really know what to do and I don't really know what my next move is. And so knowledge is power. So if you know what the next steps are, you can start walking in the direction that you want your life to go. But if you sit still and you don't ever look at your bills and you don't look at your income and you never do your debt to income ratios, you're never gonna know where you could be. So if we do our debt to income ratios and you realize, wow, I have so much debt going out, I really can't afford to buy a house yet, I may have some money saved. Maybe you have no money saved. We're going to talk about down payments in just a second. But it's going to let us know where to start. And there is not a wrong starting point. There's not a bad starting point. There is simply a starting point. And every person starts somewhere different. But just because you start somewhere different than somebody else does not mean that you're not going to get... Where you want to go. I think one of the biggest crippling things we do to ourselves is we compare where we are to where somebody else is. And we cannot do that. The only life you get to live is your life. That's why it's so important for you to know what you want your life to look like. Not what does somebody else's life look like, but what does your life look like? And let's just strive for that because the life you want is the life you're called to. And the life somebody else has is the life they're called to. We don't know the ins and outs of everybody's life. The only life that we can say, hey, this is the life I want to strive for and is attainable is our own. You can look at somebody else's lifestyle all you want, but you know what? You will never get their lifestyle because it's theirs. You get your lifestyle and you get to design whatever lifestyle it is that you want, but the one you get is the one you create. And so knowing these hard facts will help us build out our path. So go ahead and calculate your debt to income. Again, you're going to take your income. Let's say your income is $80,000 divided by 12 and you're going to multiply it times 0.36. That's going to give your ratio. And then you're going to look at all your debts and all your debts are your credit card bills, minimum payments, your car payments, student loan payments, everything you owe going out. And you're going to subtract it from that. And then that'll give you roughly how much you have left in a month for your mortgage. And if there's not really much in, in that wiggle room, you're going to have to do one of two things again, or a combination. You're going to have to pay off debt or you're going to have to create more income or do both. So if that's where you're at. If you say, hey, my debt to income is completely great. I It looks like I could go buy a house and I didn't know this, awesome. Like, let's talk about buying a house. And then if you are at a point where you're like, wow, my debt to income is so off, then let's make a path to what is your next step? Are we gonna pay off debt? Or are we gonna create more income? Or are we gonna do both? So the next step of purchasing a house that you need to know is about down payments. Now, down payments range anywhere from 0% down in USDA or more rural areas, all the way to 20%. I am not a believer that you have to put 20% down. I don't even believe you need to pay cash for a house. In fact, I really do believe that your primary home is one of the best leveraged assets you can have. Now, if your goal is to become mortgage-free, I love that, I absolutely love that building primary homes and selling our primary home is is literally like the biggest way my husband and I have gotten to be at a point where we can be debt and mortgage free. So I I don't think that having a mortgage is a bad thing and I don't think it's, it's just indifferent, right? It's a matter of you can use this to leverage. You also may use it when you find that home that you think it might be your forever home. I encourage you to, hey, maybe you, Do mortgage it, you have the cash available to have other investments, but you really see, is this really where I want to be? And if it's not, you don't have to sell the house before you can buy something else. You can make that transition or build your forever home. So there's a whole ton of reasons why I don't believe you have to be mortgage free. If that is a goal of yours and that's where you want to be in your financial freedom and your lifestyle freedom, then I want you to be there. I don't think you have to, especially at the beginning. Using your home as a leverage tool to pay off debt and slingshot you forward, I actually think it is better to buy homes within your debt-to-income ratio that you can afford and put as little down as humanly possible. And this is the reason why. Let's say you buy a house for $300,000, and over the course of two years, it raises to a 100000 more. So we're, you're going to be able to sell it for 400000 Now, in this first scenario, person A puts down 20%. So that person puts down $60,000 on a house. And yes, their monthly payment may be a little less. We'll talk about interest rates here in just a minute. But they also put $60,000 down. And if the house raises to 400000 there's still $100,000 to be made. So Let's say in two years, you buy a house, $300,000. You're able to sell it for $400,000. Person A gets their $60,000 back and $100,000. Person A just made a 63% return on the money that they put down. Now, let's say you put down 5%, right? Same house, $300,000. You put 5% down. That's $15,000 out of your pocket. Yes, your mortgage payment, apples to apples, right? If you don't do anything with the interest, say, let's just say in scenario A and B, interest is the same. So yes, you pay a little bit more per month. You put 5% down. In that two years, again, you sell the house for 400000 So there's still $100,000 of return. In that scenario, because you only put 5% down, you made 177% return on the money you invested. That is incredible. That allowed you to get into a house and make that equity versus having to wait to put that 20% down. Now, there's nothing wrong if you want to put the 20% down. Again, in all these scenarios, I don't believe like there's a absolute right and an absolute wrong way to use the bank's equity as leverage. There's just multiple ways. And so when when I talk about down payments, I want you to know that if you have The 20% to put down, that's amazing if you want to do that. If you have only 5% to put down, that's amazing. Let's do that, right? Even if you go buy it in a USDA and it's a 0% down, you own a home. You are building equity for yourself instead of paying somebody else's mortgage. So it takes you from living in the debt cycle and moves you over to the equity cycle. So with a primary home or a secondary home, such as a uh, investment property, you're going to be looking at interest rates. And that's the biggest question people have these days. It's the biggest hurdle that I see people questioning right now is the interest rate. Because interest rates are higher than they have been. They, But they're not at an all-time high. They've been much higher throughout history. Now, the cool thing is, is that when it comes to your primary mortgage, you are legally allowed to buy your interest rate down. So what does that mean? So for every percentage point, you buy your interest rate down. Let's say interest is at 8% and you want to get it down to 5%. That's three points. So per point, you pay 1% of your mortgage amount. So let's go back to that $300,000 scenario. Let's say you have $300,000. And in both scenarios I'm going to run, you're going to put down 5%. And so that's you taking on a mortgage of $285,000. So for every point, it's $2,805. Now, if you're not a math person, just kind of try at a high level, hang on with me as I break these numbers down. Well, in scenario one, if you don't do anything, you do not buy down the interest rate at all, your monthly payment will be higher because a mortgage is made up of how much did the house cost, the principal amount that the house cost and the interest rate. Okay, so what are those two things together? The higher the interest rate, the more you pay per month because it's more interest on your principal amount. The lower the interest rate, the the less you pay. And so on your primary mortgage, you're allowed to buy your interest rate down. And in most cases, you can buy it down at least 3%. And so in this scenario of $300,000 house, at today's interest rate, around 8% for a somewhat decent mortgage or decent credit score, that's gonna cost you 2,000, almost $500 a month in a mortgage. Now, if you buy your interest rate down and you pay one point, right, that's $2,850, you're going to spend somewhere around $8,500 to buy it down three, three points to 5%. Again, you put 5% down, you bought down your interest rate, and now your mortgage payment is $1,932. You're saving over $570 a month by buying down your interest rate. And a lot of people aren't talking about it because A, number one, a lot of people don't know about it. And two, banks aren't going to tell you, hey, you can just buy down your points, right? And have a lower interest rate. Like they're not promoting that. You have to know it. And that's what I want to help you understand is just because interest rates are high right now, it doesn't mean it's a bad time to buy. I believe that any time you take a step from the debt cycle into the equity cycle, it's a right decision. Now, Let's just play this scenario out because a lot of people say this. Yeah, but I'm just gonna wait till interest rates come back down and I'm gonna buy then. Okay, when interest rates come back down, everybody else who hasn't listened to this podcast to know you can buy down your interest rates are gonna be thinking the exact same thing, which is gonna cause the price of the house to go up because there's more demand. Right now, prices of houses are holding steady. Some of them are dropping. Sellers are negotiating a little bit more because interest rates are so high. And so there's less buyers on the market buying houses. And so if you wait to when interest rates are lower, you and everybody else are going to be clamoring for the same houses, causing the price of those houses to skyrocket. And so just so you know, I did the math again and If you were to say, hey, I'm going to wait, let's say interest rates go down that, you know, three points or whatever, and it goes down to 5%, the overall purchase price of the house will at least go up by 10. So when you look at it, 10% of $300,000 is $30,000. If you were to just take the house you see right now that can grow in equity knowing that interest rates may come down again and that may be the time you sell this investment you're thinking of buying. That you buy now and when interest rates do come down, when everybody else wants to buy a house, maybe that's when you sell and you make money and you pay off your debts with this house that you're considering. If you were to say in that $300,000 scenario, I'm gonna wait for interest rates to go back down and the house goes to 330,000, That is over a $20,000 difference in the overall lifetime value of that house. Because if you just buy it now and you put the $8,500 down to buy down the points, you get in the house now, you get to keep growing equity until you're ready to sell. And then you're not clamoring with everybody else to buy that same house. I hope that makes sense. I really do. I know that sometimes listening to all of these numbers be explained is kind of hard. I do plan to, on our Facebook group, go over this. I have a whiteboard in my office, and we're going to actually go through the numbers so I can explain this better. So go over to Facebook, join our podcast community, Investing Well podcast community. You're going to put in your name and your email and join our group. You're going to get so much value out of it, and I can help you find an agent in your area who... Is super knowledgeable and can help you if you decide that buying is indeed the option you want to do right now. So last but oh, real quick before I move on, whenever we talk about interest rates, let's say you're sitting there thinking, I okay, I have enough money for a down payment, but I don't have enough money to also buy down my interest rate. That's okay. Right now, there's a couple things you can do. You can ask the seller to buy down your interest rate. And for homes that are sitting on the market, sellers are often willing to buy down an interest rate. So I would ask for that. Number two, here's a tricky, tricky situation, but you can do it. And you, let's say the house is $300,000 and you want to buy down the interest rate and the seller says, I don't want to pay you any money. I want to make my 300,000. You say, okay. Okay, great. Then you go in and you'd say, I'm going to offer you $310,000. Three hundred and ten thousand dollars, and you just up the price by the amount it's going to take you to buy down your interest rate. So you just bought it down yourself, and essentially, you're going to the bank is going to pay more money so that you can buy down your own interest rate. It's a it's a back end way so that the seller's not out any money and you're not out of pocket any money. And this is done every single day. It's hundred percent legal. You're able to do it. But again, a lot of people and a lot of agents, although they may be good, just don't know how to walk somebody through that process of the mortgage and writing an offer that's higher so that you can have money back at closing. So three ways to buy down your interest rate. One, you can bring the cash to the table yourself. Two, ask the seller to pay for it. Or three, up the price of the house and have it rolled in to your mortgage so that you pay it yourself. Now. Another way that we'll talk about real quick and then we're going to wrap it up for you to create equity and own a home is what they call in the industry house hacking. And so what house hacking is, you may or may not have heard the term, is that when you buy a duplex, you live in the duplex. It's your primary residence. It's two doors or less. And you and you could do it for a threeplex as long as you're living in one of the units or a fourplex single family home. You rent out the other side of your duplex and then you live in there for a full year and then a year from now, you put another renter in and you go buy another home. So you've been able to save up more money, you go buy another home and the current mortgage is not counted against you because you have a long-term renter. And so that's super high level. We can get into that if you're interested in like, how does that really work? Can we break that down? Again, go to our Facebook group. I will do that in more depth and answer more questions like that there um, than being able to go into all the details here. But know that there are other creative ways to buy a home and actually have somebody pay for it. And so if you have a duplex opportunity like this, where you can buy the duplex and you can rent it out, ideally you want to look to make sure that one side's rent can carry 75 to 100 percent of the mortgage. In my opinion, that's a solid deal. And so I believe that when you own your primary home, it is the quickest way to reduce debt. And I would say if you have over $50,000 of non-mortgage debt, I would highly encourage you to look at a primary home as the means for your investment tool. And if you want to go into more detail or you already own your home, but you don't feel like You can quite sell it. I want to answer these questions for you. I want to dig deep into these in our Facebook group, but this is the exact way that we paid off so much debt in such a short period of time. But we were willing to buy a house and move out of it a year or two later down the road so that ultimately we could get where we wanted to go in life. And so from this episode, if you are thinking, hey, I am really interested in buying a house and I don't really know where to start, I'm going to put a link in the show notes and it is to a document that you can fill out. We will call you. We will talk to you about where you're at. What does your debt look like? It's obviously confidential. And we can talk about what do those next steps look like for you in your scenario with the money you have and the debts you have. We can really dig into those. So if that is you, I encourage you to fill out the link below and let us know. We will reach out to you. And I just really look forward to to working with you. And I'm super excited. I hope that if the, that this podcast gives you that hope and desire and dream that, hey, I really could go buy a house. I really can get out of this debt cycle and into an equity cycle. So I hope you enjoy this. Connect with us on Facebook and I will chat with you soon. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I want to take a minute and just say thank you for tuning in to another episode of Investing Well. My hope and prayer is that each of these episodes will bless you and leave you with practical steps, not only to creating financial freedom in your life, but tactical actions to help you build and invest in the life of your dreams, the life I know you deserve. I would love for you to join us over in our free Facebook community called the investing Well podcast community. That's where we want to connect you to other like-minded people who are investing well in their lives and continue these conversations. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on Apple podcast. Your feedback helps us grow and reach more people on their investing journey. We truly appreciate your support and stay tuned for more episodes. And until next time, Happy investing.